Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Good afternoon, and welcome to this Wednesday episode of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. So much ground to cover today on this historic day. Historic for some terribly unfortunate reasons. Last night, in the House of Representatives, late into the night, there was debate and ultimately a vote on whether or not the House of Representatives would call upon Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and, joining with the cabinet of the President of the United States, remove that president from office, or more specifically, take from him the powers and authorities granted to the president, taking upon himself, Mike Pence, the authority to act as president for the duration of the Trump administration. Ultimately, that measure was passed. It was passed along party lines with one exception. Adam Kinzinger, a Republican who made it known earlier that he intended to side with Democrats in this matter, uh, voted to plead with the vice president to invoke the 25th Amendment. A quick summary on the 25th Amendment. It is uh, specifically Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. It is the portion of the Constitution which allows, in the event of incapacity or inability for the vice president joining with a majority of the cabinet to remove the president if he be deemed unfit or she. It has never been used in this fashion before. It would be unprecedented. Now, as I talk about the 25th Amendment and the vote cast last night by the House of Representatives, I'm well aware that it's ancient history by now. Ancient history. We have moved on to debating the rule and the article of impeachment, and that vote is expected any time now. And to be talking about something that happened only, what, 12 hours ago or so? Feels antiquated. But just let me put it in perspective. This issue of calling upon the vice president to invoke the 25th Amendment, in any other circumstance, it would be a headline-making event that would dominate the headlines for weeks and weeks. Because of uh, the nature of its unprecedented reality and because of the implications of what it was calling for. And yet here we are, 12 hours later, and it quite literally is ancient history. In the talk radio game, in the news business, you want to be up to the minute as soon as possible. When something breaks, you want to be covering it. And this is one of those moments, the 25th Amendment. 
And yet I feel like I'm behind the, behind the eight ball. Like I'm talking about something that happened decades and decades ago, and it was, again, only uh, 12 hours ago or so. But it's important because I don't want to forget the chapter of history being written right now will contain highlights that will break hearts and highlights that will be examined and broken down for decades and decades to come. So let's look at some of these details. The resolution drafted by Representative Raskin, a Democrat, again called on the invocation of the 25th Amendment, specifically calling on Vice President Pence to coordinate with the cabinet and remove the powers from President Trump for the duration of his presidency. It was simply a a question, a request. Well, earlier in the day, yesterday, a letter was sent by Vice President Pence to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. That letter was also distributed to all members of Congress, essentially preemptively answering the question that was contained within the resolution regarding the 25th Amendment. I want to read for you a bit of what was contained in that letter. He starts... Vice President Mike Pence starts by saying, Every American was shocked and saddened by the attack on our nation's capital last week. I am grateful for the leadership that you and other congressional leaders provided in reconvening Congress to complete the people's business on the very same day. It was a moment that demonstrated to the American people that unity is still possible in Congress when it is needed most. Let me pause right there for a moment and, uh, and echo that sentiment. There was an instant where I thought, oh, my gosh, we are off the rails. This is last uh, Wednesday, thinking that that the work of the people, that the work that was being undertaken by Congress to uh, certify the Electoral College votes was uh, quite literally disrupted. Well, I am I am grateful and I am so pleased that uh, House and Senate leadership agreed and got back to work as soon as the coast was clear. It was a good day in that sense that we were able to demonstrate that even in the midst of unspeakable acts committed by folks who have their heads screwed on sideways, that uh, we as a nation, represented by these lawmakers, were able to get back to business. That's an aside, though, a tangent. The issue at hand here is the request on the part of the House that the, that the vice president invoke the 25th Amendment. Uh, his letter continues. Again, Mike Pence writing to uh, Speaker Pelosi and the rest of the United States Congress, specifically the House, as it last night considered this resolution. He continues, quote, but now with just eight days left in the president's term, you and the Democratic caucus are demanding that the cabinet and I invoke the 25th Amendment. I do not believe that such a course of action is in the best interest of our nation or consistent with our Constitution. Last week, I did not yield to pressure to exert power beyond my constitutional authority to determine the outcome of the election. And I will not now yield to efforts in the House of Representatives to play political games at the time, at a time so serious in the life of our nation. That's an interesting point, which I had not considered until uh, first reading this letter and then being reminded of it during the debate last night ahead of the vote on this 25th Amendment issue. 
And that brings me to another important point about uh, these matters, specifically legislative matters that have time set aside for debate. I know that there has been much criticism leveled against Congress as it takes up issues of such importance like this and others that the debate is really just symbolic, that these members of Congress have their minds made up ahead of time, and as they take to the floor sometimes the nearly empty House chambers, that the debate is spoken into a camera, it's broadcast to to C-SPAN of an audience of, I don't know, measure that in the dozens, I guess. Well, I think you and I have an opportunity there. Because the debate does, in fact, take place. These members of Congress do come to the House floor and present their positions. They may not be changing one another's minds. But you and I do have the opportunity to hear directly from them. And this point here was made numerous times by those opposing the 25th Amendment resolution. The point that last week, last week, President Trump was calling upon Mike Pence to betray his constitutional authority, to reach for power he didn't have, and to essentially change the results of the votes cast by the electors as they were presented to the House. Rather, to a joint session of Congress, both members of the House and the Senate, as they gathered together last Wednesday. And while he rejected that call to operate outside of his constitutional authority, he says in this letter, and it was spoken on the floor of the House yesterday by those arguing against the invocation of the 25th Amendment, that he would, if if agreeing to the resolution, also be operating beyond his constitutional authority. Now, that's just one side of the argument. The other half of the time was taken up by Democrats and those who were very much in favor of the invocation of the 25th Amendment, and very much specifically in favor of requesting that the Vice President of the United States take such action, such unprecedented action. And they talked about urgency. They talked about every day that President Trump remains in office that he poses a threat to this nation. Now, you and I can base our opinions on you know whether or not the Democrats were right or the Republicans were right. We can base that on a number of things. We can read the interpretations written in articles by others. We can you know ask our family members. We can uh, check the email forwards that have come from our uncle. <laughs> or, or we can turn our attention to the actual floor of the House and listen to the debate. I know it's time-consuming. I know that some of it gets repetitive. But it is, in fact, where these decisions are made, and it is where the arguments are presented in their purest form. And it is where the arguments are presented by those empowered by you and me to make these decisions. Big history took place last night. Big history is taking place today. And you and I have an opportunity to peer inside and look directly into the eyes and into the hearts of those empowered to make these important decisions and to hear from them directly. Quick break, back with more here on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. We are joined together today on an unfortunately historic day. 
regardless of where you stand on this impeachment question or last night's question of the 25th Amendment, we are here today because of unfortunate events. Let's never forget that. Uh, If we are looking, though, for reasons to take cheer, it is that we do have a system that even when groups disagree vehemently, that we do have a system in which those disagreements can be presented. And that is what we have been seeing throughout the day today as Democrats and Republicans have taken to the floor of the House to debate uh, first the rule to proceed and then the actual article of impeachment. We have been presented with a wealth of arguments. I, in the last segment, went on and on about the importance of making sure that you and I know exactly how these members of Congress feel. Why? Well, because as much as you and I can bicker back and forth with our friends about it, they are the ones that you and I have elected to make these decisions. And so the debate which has played out on the floor of the House throughout the day today, as that debate is delivered, the words that are shared are important as they are a window into the minds and hearts, in many cases, of those members of Congress empowered to vote. Now, last night, we talked briefly about the the 25th Amendment and the vote for the resolution to request that Vice President Pence enact the fourth section of the 25th Amendment to remove power from the president for the duration of the administration. That vote, when cast late in the evening yesterday, fell almost exactly along party lines. There was one exception. Adam Kinzinger, a Republican member of Congress, voted for the resolution. He was the only exception. Today, though, today, as these votes are cast regarding the article of impeachment the number of Republicans who may be voting should be a bit larger. Now, we don't know exactly how many, and we won't until those votes are actually cast, though there have been uh, a group, there has been rather a group of Republicans who have made it known that they intend to vote to impeach the president. Most noteworthy, most noteworthy is Representative Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is a congresswoman from Wyoming, the daughter of the former vice president, and she currently serves as the House Republican Conference chair. That's the third most powerful Republican in the House of Representatives. And she, in a statement released yesterday, made it known her intention to vote to impeach the president. Now, what does that mean politically? I I hate talking about this question in political terms, but I do know that politics do factor in to much of the decision-making. Some, at least. And you have to wonder if this move by the House Republican Conference Chair, as I said, the third most powerful Republican in the House, if this move to vote to impeach the president If it is done, well, first for the rationale that she presents in her statement, which I'll share with you in just a moment, but in so doing in such a public fashion ahead of the impeachment vote itself, you wonder if it offers cover for some Republican members who have been on the fence, who feel very strongly maybe that the president does deserve to be impeached, but are worried, let's say, about what some of their base may feel. What do you think about that? 
as the conversation of impeachment continues, please feel free to reach out with any thoughts you might have. 57500, that's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Now I want to share with you the rationale presented by Liz Cheney. I'll remind you, Republican, Wyoming representative, she's the third most powerful Republican in the House of Representatives, daughter of Dick Cheney. She writes, quote, on January 6, 2021, a violent mob attacked the United States Capitol to obstruct the process of our democracy and stop the counting of presidential electoral votes. This insurrection caused injury, death and destruction in the most sacred space in our republic. Much more will become clear in coming days and weeks, but what we know now is enough. The presidents of the United States summoned this mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. Everything that followed was his doing. None of this would have happened without the president. The president could have immediately and forcefully intervened to stop the violence. He did not. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and of his oath to the Constitution. These, again, the words of Liz Cheney, Republican House Conference Chair, Congresswoman from Wyoming. She will vote to impeach the president. And she's not alone. She's not alone. There are other uh, Republican members. John Katko, another one. Uh, In fact, he was the first to come out publicly, the first Republican, that is, to come out publicly and say that I will be siding uh, with Democrats who have made it known they intend to impeach the president again. Adam Kinzinger, he was the one, the lone representative who voted for the resolution calling on the vice president to invoke the 25th Amendment and remove the authority and power granted to President Trump uh, and place it upon himself for the duration of the administration. There are predictions that up to 20 more may cast their vote, 20 more Republicans. What do you think about that? What do you think about your own representative? How should they vote? 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Quick break and back with more here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back. I'm Lee Lonsberry. It's 2.07. This is the hour in which the President of the United States, Donald John Trump, will likely become a twice impeached president, the only president in American history. To bear that distinction. And many of you listening right now, I'm sure, have very strong and differing feelings on that reality. I understand. I talk often about the importance of relying on source material, the importance of reading the documents. News outlets. The newspaper, magazines can be very helpful. What you see on TV can be very helpful. But when you and I, as we bear the responsibility as Americans to vote, and I I phrase it that way intentionally, our, our right to vote is a responsibility that we bear. And if our intention is to vote in a certain way so as to create representation that's beneficial, most beneficial to me and my family, well, then you can bet that I'm going to expose myself to the best of information. And right now, right now, we are just coming off about two hours of debate on the floor of the House of Representatives. Listening to those arguments 
is very important. Understanding the arguments that are being made on both sides of this is, is very important. I will admit, I have relied heavily on what many have told me about the various arguments on the two sides of this issue. I decided, though, not to rely so much on that and spend most of today, with the exception of the time spent here on the air with you, I've spent most of my day listening to the debate uh, that's gone back and forth between the Republicans and the Democrats. And I have been exposed to new arguments I had not before considered. I'd invite you and urge you uh, to look for opportunities to do that yourself. Now to the mechanics of today. What's happening? Right now, right now, House members are voting. As it stands, there are 142 votes in favor, 150 votes in favor of the resolution to impeach the president, uh, just shy of 150 against. There are still 133 representatives who need to vote, and so we are nowhere near the end of this thing. One number I would point out right here is that on the Republican side, there are currently seven votes in favor. If you scour the media and Twitter and other resources, you'll find that there are uh, thus far nine Republicans who have telegraphed their intention to vote for the impeachment, the most notable of those being uh, Representative Elizabeth Cheney, Liz Cheney. The uh, yeah, of course you recognize that last name. She is the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney. Uh, she yesterday, one of the first to do so, uh, put out the following statement: "I will vote to impeach the president. I will vote to impeach the president." Earlier in the program, you heard me walk through. Uh, the the words that she shared, as well as words shared by another of the first representatives, first Democrat, I'm sorry, first Republican representatives to speak out, making it known that they would be voting for impeachment. That's John Catco. He represents a, a rural portion of western New York. Adam Kinzinger, another Republican member of the House, who has made it known he'll be voting for impeachment. <clears throat> Interestingly, he uh, is the sole Republican who last night during the vote to pass the resolution encouraging Vice President Mike Pence to enact certain powers available to him in the fourth section of the 25th Amendment. Adam Kinzinger was the only Republican to vote. I'm seeing some refreshed numbers right now. That Republican number uh, still stands at seven. Seven Republicans in the House uh, voting for impeachment, 153 uh, Democrats with just north of 130 representatives left to vote. Typically, here's a little just point of trivia. Typically, the process of voting is much more rapid than what we are seeing here today. Why has it been slowed down? Well, that's because, uh, first off, COVID, there are only a, a finite number of uh, representatives allowed on the floor at a time. They're kind of grouped into uh, you know, different clusters of folks who come in, who cast their vote. Uh, and here's a little interesting thing. The way, the way uh, members cast their vote, each, each elected member of the House is issued an electronic card. It has a chip similar to what you carry in your credit or debit card. Within the House chamber, picture all the seats there in the arced formation oriented towards the speaker's chair. 
behind some of those seats, there are these little boxes. And in those boxes, there is a slot and a trio of buttons, three buttons. And each member of Congress, when it is their turn to vote, they approach that box with that unique identifier card with the chip. They drop it in. That identifies uh, that the next button pushed will be a vote cast by a certain member. And then they pick either yay, nay, or present. Those are the three options available to them there. Uh, You could also, if you're a member of Congress, Congress, simply not vote. And there will uh, surely be a few of those. I know that in the earlier vote to pass the rule to allow for debate surrounding the article of impeachment, uh, there were a number that didn't vote. And that is sometimes it's a statement. You know, sometimes you have we've come encounter, we have come across members of Congress who have decided not to vote because they are rejecting the whole process, that it's all a sham. That to weigh in on, you know, this side or that side would be giving credibility to the system. I I don't think there's much of that happening. Sometimes uh, no votes come about as a result of illness. And, uh, you know, in in that instance, we wish the folks the very best. Uh, But that gets me to another one of the reasons why the vote is so prolonged right now. And it's because at the at the onset of this Congress, the 117th, There was a resolution passed, uh, HRES 8, I believe it was, and that was the rules that would govern the goings-on in the House this year. And one of those rules was that proxy voting was allowed, not typically something allowed in previous Congresses. There was some of that allowed uh, in Democrat leadership elections last year. But for the most part, this is the first time that we are seeing uh, proxy voting. And the way that it's happening is it's kind of interesting. What will happen is if, let's say I'm a member of Congress, I've come down with uh, COVID-19, or for whatever reason I'm uh, you know, unable or unwilling to travel to the House floor, some of them are, are just startled, still shook from last week. What you can do then is you make contact with uh, a representative you know and trust, and you surrender to them your proxy vote. Communicate to them which way you would like to vote. And then you, holding the proxy, you take to the microphone and you make it known to the speaker or whoever is acting uh, as the speaker that you, on behalf of so-and-so, uh, will be casting a vote. A pretty simple process, uh, but that is proxy voting in action, something we really haven't seen on the floor of the House of Representatives in the past. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break right now. Uh, where things stand, still only seven uh, Republicans have voted for the impeachment, about 70 House members still to go. We're getting down to the wire. Pretty soon we'll know where this thing goes. Highest of likelihoods is that by the end of this day, 67 votes to go, at the end of this day, uh, Donald J. Trump will be a twice impeached president. The only person in history to bear that distinction. If you have any thoughts on this, before I go to break, let me put out this invitation. 57500, that is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Love to hear what you have to say about this. Any thoughts or observations? We are in unprecedented times. I don't want to steer your thoughts at all. You just tell me what you're thinking, and we'll discuss it next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. 
police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.